0: good morning ministers I wanted to start this morning by making a confession my confession is this that I know a lot of things that's my confession I know a lot of things I know how to drive a tractor trailer I know how to run a sales department. I know how to sing. I know how to preach. I know a lot of things. But I do not know as much as God knows. And I have seen a myriad of wonders. But I cannot see as far as God can see. I have wrestled, I have overcome in my lifetime many dangers, toils, and snares, but I am not more mighty than God is. I have been showered with accolades by people who really matter, but my glory pales in comparison to the glory of my God. So if you think this morning that I am great, there is one who is greater than I. God is God, and I am only a minister, a minister by his decree, by his decision. And my work and my service to God will only last for a season. 55 years old, my work for God will only last for a season, but God reigns from everlasting to everlasting. Hmm. God is holy, but I am just being sanctified. God is good, I am being made so. God is faithful while I only aspire to be faithful. In essence, in quality, in love, and in deed, our God stands high above us all. There is only and ever one God, only one who is worthy, Jesus Christ alone. If you take a long look at me, don't look too hard, don't look too long, but if you take a long look at me, and if you work like Hans, if you work closely with me in any endeavor All that I have said will become painfully obvious to you. You will see my flaws and my weaknesses. You will see my unintentional smoke screens and my deliberate derelictions. And they'll give you pause. My inconsistencies, my uncanny dispositions. All of these idiosyncrasies will bring the message home quite clearly that I am not God, far from it. I am only a minister. It's obvious when you look at me. But with these cherubim in the book of Ezekiel, it may not be so obvious. They stand up taller than the mountains. They're stronger than hurricanes. When they speak, their voice is like rushing water with bronze for legs and feet designed to climb to the highest places with faces of lions and eagles and men four wings to fly in all directions. When you look at them, it may not be so obvious. And an unwise person would bow down before these cherubim. If they showed up right now, I guarantee you that someone in this room would fall to their face before them. In Revelation chapter 22 and verse 8, John was so overwhelmed by the majesty of these cherubim and the seraphim that stood before him that he even bowed down. He says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. When I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But the angel said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours. I am a fellow servant of your brothers, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God, the angel says. I may be greater in stature than you, I may know far more than you ever will. I may understand all mysteries and see as far as the east is from the west, but there is one still greater than me, the angel says. I am only a ministering spirit, a colleague of yours, the angel says, a fellow servant of the living God who is forever blessed. This is what humility sounds like. A declaration of subservience and fidelity toward God alone. This is what humility looks like. A non-aggressive dependency and allegiance to Almighty God. To know my assigned place and to take my place under God who is above all, without question, without resentment, without striving to be more than I am, without striving to be known for my own sake. This is what humility looks like to situate my ego into the lowest place under God, to abolish the need to win, to reject any supposition that I am deserving of a lot more space than anyone else. (laughs) This is what King David exclaimed in the 115th Psalm when he says, not to us Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. So as we continue today to gaze upon the majestic caliber of these lucid and angelic beings, we desire still to know more about them. I don't know about you, but every time I read their description, I am just amazed and enthralled at their presence. Even in my imagination, they seem so glorious. We want to look more intently into the structure of their anatomies, to find out what they're made of, to admire their dignity. We've been given this vision of their wings and their faces, their legs and their physique, but to Ezekiel and to us, these angels refuse to provide us any more information. The show's over. There's nothing left to see here. Two of their wings were spread out above, the Bible says. Each had two wings touching another being and two of their wings were covering their bodies. There's nothing left to see here. They've shown me their legs, they've shown me their hands, they've shown me their wings, they've shown me their faces and now they refuse to show me their body. And I am curious, I want to know what lies beneath the wings. Why won't they show us their bodies? Why do they hide themselves and refuse to allow us a more intimate view of themselves? Why are they hiding themselves? You know why they're hiding themselves? Because this is not their story. This is not a story or a vision about angels. This is not a story or a vision about ministers. But truth be told, sometimes we ministers hijack God's story. Sometimes we allot to ourselves a far more prominent part in the story than God has actually scripted us to have. And in our own minister created stories, the minister becomes the lead and God becomes just a supporting actor. This is not the minister's story. While these ministering spirits were sent to direct the focus and the attention of Ezekiel toward God, he refuses to allow his own personality to fill up the screen, to impede Ezekiel from a clear view of God. The God who can save, the God who can sustain. The angel covers his body, you've you've looked long enough, Ezekiel, you're missing the real show that's going on up above me. You're so captivated and enthralled by my personality that you're about to miss the point. I'm not the point, I'm just a minister. Pride is an obstacle. And humility is the transparent film through which the listener or the ones we serve can see clear through our personalities and get a glimpse of God. Pride blocks the vision of God. Ezekiel's eyes are filled. His attention is fixated on the the ministers, these servants of God. He can't look away from them. He wants to see more of them, to understand them, and to ask them questions about their origins and their destinations. Hmm. And just as it is with these cherubim, human ministers tend to be somewhat alluring to people. Mysterious men and women who intrigue the masses. Some not only intrigue the masses of the body of Christ, but they even intrigue the world and get their faces put in Time magazines. (laughs) Even the world respects them and brings them on TV shows for interviews. People are intrigued by ministers. From Origen to Martin Luther from St. John of the Cross to John Calvin, from D.L. Moody to R.C. Sproul, great and imposing figures of men and women who without humility would have made themselves impediments to the faith that they were called to serve. People are always clamoring behind some human to emulate. A celebrity who can stand at the front of the line and give pointers as to how to live your best life now. Some spiritual guide to lead us into unfamiliar sacred spaces. We're enthralled by charismatic ministers. We long to feel connected to God through intermediaries that we trust to have seen God for themselves. But the humble minister, the good minister, refuses to be that intermediary. And along with the angel, from the book of Revelation, we cry out, do not do that. Do not worship me. Worship God. This is what the modesty of these cherubim communicate to Ezekiel and to us. That God should always be the focal point of our meditations. That only God should be the apple of our eyes. That the minister is unworthy and forever will be. I do not have the answers that you seek. I do not have the grace that can save you. I am a minister. And my only reason for coming to you is because God sent me. He sent me not to take away from his glory, not to build myself a kingdom in the world, but to train your eyes toward heaven from whence your salvation comes. That's the job of the minister. This is humility, brothers and sisters. Why do we fear that word, humility? Why does that term, humility, make us feel so uncomfortable? There's something about humility that can feel off-putting. What is it? Well, well, the, the, the regular dictionary describes humility like this. It means to have a modest or low view of one's own importance. That's why we don't like that. To have a low view of my own importance. I don't like that either. Because to me that sounds like low self-esteem. That's when someone lacks confidence about who they are and what they can do. That sounds like low self-esteem. That sounds like a conscious devaluation of one's ability to contribute anything good. That doesn't sound right. Unfortunately for many believers, that's how we interpret humility. I'm not important, I'm worthless, I'm no good, I have nothing to contribute, and we call that humility no, no, that's, that's not humility. That's just a lack of confidence in yourself. That's just low self-esteem. To be humble does entail modesty. To be humble does entail having a low view of my own importance, but this view does not exist in a vacuum. True humility is measured in relation to someone else. Therefore, biblical, biblical humility is the low view the minister has of himself, of herself, in relation or in comparison to God. That's humility. Not just thinking low about myself just for the sake of thinking low about myself, that's just religion. That's pretense. True humility is when I recognize my lower status, my lower importance as compared to God. That's biblical humility. To be humble is to recognize that God is greater than I. And that is what the angels in this text symbolize. And this is what biblical humility points toward. My view of myself in contrast to God. Now, somebody's sitting there right now thinking, Calvin, that's very elementary. We didn't need to be explained that to be explained to us today. That's elementary. But while this notion is simple. The carrying out of this simple concept is quite complex. You see, here it is. When I demand to be the center of attention, when Jesus Christ was content to be rejected, when I desire to be viewed as strong, when Jesus Christ portrayed himself as weak, When I refuse to be unhappy even for a moment, when Jesus was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. When I am selective in who deserves my affection while Jesus is so generous and lavishes his love on all people. When I feel that I deserve the very best, when Jesus Christ was laid in a horse's trench and lived in poverty. When I insist on being heard, though Jesus Christ was ignored. When I demand to be understood, while Jesus Christ lived in obscurity, I am not humble. I am communicating through my actions and through my will that I am greater than God. I may never actually think that thought. I may never say it with my own lips but the requirements that I place on myself, on my environment, and on my peers tell the story that my heart would never dare to admit that I am not humble. That I think that I am greater than God. My need for accolades and recognition, my need for comfort, my need for respect, All these things point to the fact that I feel myself more worthy than Jesus Christ himself. But I do deserve comfort, don't I? I do deserve to have a good life, do I not? Yes, you do. We all deserve it. God created the heavens and the earth, and He gave it all to us that we might be fruitful and multiply. We deserve. But true humility is my voluntary submission to whatever lot may fall to me. And praising God for remembering me at all. That is true humility. True humility is surprised by God's good fortune toward me because the person who is humble does not view himself as more worthy than God, but stands in amazement that God would condescend to hear my plea at all. That is humility. To these cherubim, these ministers of the Most High God, it is enough for them that they have been privileged to stand in the presence of the one who knows. They are overjoyed to be recruited, to carry the chariot of the one who is almighty over all. That's enough for them. And these ministers, these ministering spirits must never imagine that they have paid some toll, that they have sacrificed to such a degree that heaven is bound to open its gate and to give them whatever they call for. For the humble minister, every opportunity to speak for God is an undeserved blessing. Every open door to serve at God's beck and call is a sign of pure unfavored grace, unmerited prospects. When God calls a man or a woman to serve, when God calls a man or a woman to be a minister, That person considers within herself that there must have been no one else available. Surely God could have chosen someone better than me. That's, that's humility. God came to Ezekiel with cherubim, intimidating. But you know what? God could have just as easily come to Ezekiel with those angels you see on the toilet paper commercials. You know the angel, that, that's a little baby with the diaper? Carrying that, that harp all the time. God could have come with those guys, why not? <laughs> he didn't have to choose these big, big uh, imposing angels. He could have chosen the smallest angels in all of heaven. After all, what difference would it have really made? What difference would it have made? The person doing the carrying of the chariots of God is not more important than the God that he carries. The minister carrying the message of the Most High God is but dust in comparison to the one he proclaims. What difference would it have made? And unselfishly, the minister goes about the business of building, planting, sowing, and reaping, giving God all the glory, and only asking God, what would you require of me next? That is humility. The other two wings were used to cover their bodies, signifying to Ezekiel that there is nothing left for you to see here nothing left to learn from us. For the one we carry is greater than we, he is above all, and Ezekiel is being encouraged to look only to God, to look above the minister. These ministers were humble, but they were also decisive. You know, sometimes when we think about humility, we confuse being humble with being trepidatious, timid, unsure. I can't do that. You want me to do what? I I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. We, We think that's being humble, afraid to try, afraid, uncertain, unsure. But nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, the exact opposite is true. Humility is neither fearfulness nor uncertainty. Humility does not doubt its own capabilities. That's not what it means to be humble. To be humble is not to deny personal ability and personal power. True humility recognizes its own value. True humility recognizes its own capacity. The humble minister knows his own worth while at the same time recognizing that God is more worthy. I may be capable, but God is more capable still. The humble minister is therefore decisive. Just as each of these cherubim went straight forward. They they, they do what they've been assigned to do without question, without hesitation, without fear of failure. They move straight forward. No turning back, no turning around, straight forward. Because they understand that the ministers of God can not fail. When I got to this point I had to stop just like this because I got to say it again. You got to believe it. The ministers of God can not fail. It's impossible. Hmm. The minister of God will not fail So long as he depends on and follows the spirit of the living God The text says That these cherubim went straight forward Wherever the spirit was about to go They would go without turning As they, they followed the spirit in every move This kind of minister cannot fail doesn't mean that everything's always going to work out right. doesn't mean that you're always going to get the thing that you're hoping for. But true failure is only failure when God calls it failure, not when men call it failure. True failure is only failure when God says you fail. No matter what society says, no matter what the world says, no matter what your brother says, no matter what your sister says, true failure only exists when God says it's failure. Those who are following the Spirit of God cannot fail, because the Spirit of God will not fail. They follow the Spirit in every movement. He's talking about the divine Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, the Spirit of the one who sits on the throne above them, the Spirit of God who was directing and enabling their movements. The Hebrew word for Spirit is ruah. We're all familiar with that word. It means spirit, it can mean wind, it can mean breath. And in the book of Ezekiel, this word ruah is used over 50 times. Commentators, theologians call Ezekiel the prophet of the spirit because he talks about ruah so often, the spirit of God. Ezekiel learned this principle of ministry as he observed the cherubim. When Ezekiel uses this term Ruah, he seems to imply that Ruah, the spirit, is an agency of animation. A vitalizing principle of life that comes from God himself. It's a quickening spirit that gives life and energy and power to the host. These cherubim were divinely appointed, divinely empowered to do the will and the work of God, just like Ezekiel is about to be just like every minister of Jesus Christ is. Even so, we remain humble because we dare not take away from, we dare not seek to add anything to the glory that is God's alone, a glory that Ezekiel is about to see for himself. He hasn't even seen God yet. We've been looking at this for the last four, maybe five weeks. Ezekiel hasn't even seen God yet. He's already blown away with what he's seen, and he hasn't even seen God. (laughs) But he's about to see. He's about to see that in comparison to God, these angels are but children. He's about to see God. The Bible says in verse 13 that in the midst of the living beings, there was something that looked like burning coals of fire, like torches moving among the living beings. The fire was bright and lightning was flashing from the fire. God is on his way. That is the radiant glory of God himself coming closer and closer into Ezekiel's view. This is why the cherubim are covering themselves in anticipation of the one who is about to be revealed. As the lightning flashed, the living beings ran back and forth like bolts of lightning activated this is what's supposed to happen to us when the holy spirit of god comes upon us we become activated animated agitated stirred up by the spirit of god as he approaches this is the disposition of the ministers of god we are compelled to speak we are activated to speak by the spirit of god as the spirit of god stirs in our beings We move into action as the Holy Spirit draws near. We recognize that the work we do is not by our own might, it's not by our own power, but it is by His Spirit. The ministers of Jesus Christ then are humble servants who move decisively at the bidding of the Holy Spirit and by the power that the Holy Spirit gives. By this power, we proclaim the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Take a moment and be honest with yourself. Look over your life and your attitude, your dispositions at work, when you're interacting with your spouse, when you're driving on the highway in rush hour traffic, and see if there is pride in you. Examine your own self to see if you believe that you are more deserving than Jesus Christ himself to see if you are living a life of humility that honors God alone. John the Baptist said it like this, I must decrease because he must increase. I must intentionally make myself small so that God can be seen and perceived as great. I know who I am and I know a lot of things and I have a lot of capabilities but in the presence of God I am just a child I know nothing I am a child in his presence and only God is great if you're going to be a minister you must approach ministry from this perspective no matter how many books I read No matter how much theology I come to understand, it doesn't make a difference. In the eyes of God, I am but a child. And When I stand in my proper position, when I stand in my proper place before him, when I humble myself under the mighty hand of God, he promises, I will exalt you in due time. You see, see, pride makes me want to exalt myself. Pride is my own self-satisfaction with how I did, the job that I did, the report that I got, the grade that I received, pride. Humility says, all glory be to God Almighty for the great things he has allowed me to do. I give him all the credit. I voluntarily submit all of my accomplishments, everything that I am, so that Jesus Christ may be glorified in my life. That is commitment. That is faithfulness, that is what it means truly, not only to be a minister, but to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we are leaning completely on you this morning. trusting in your promises, depending on your spirit to quicken us, to activate us, to make us alive. It is our desire, Lord God, to have an impact on our community, on our families, on our nation, and on our world for your glory. We voluntarily submit to you this morning all of our own skills and talents, all of our knowledge and all of our wisdom. And we ask you, Lord God, to fill us with your power, to fill us with your wisdom, to stir us up again. Give us the desire to preach the gospel to those who are lost, to bring many sons and daughters into your kingdom. Lord, give us a heart for the lost. Give us the power. Give us the words to mend brokenhearted hearts to bring peace to unsettled minds. Lord, we're living in a day of so much trouble, so much trauma, so much tumult. Our world is on fire and the wounded are all around us. We voluntarily submit all that we have and all that we are to you in this very moment and ask you to give us your heart for the world. To take out our stony cold heart and give us a heart of love. To fill us with your compassion to help us to see the broken men and women in this world the way that you see them. Give us the courage and the faith by the power of your own spirit to preach this good gospel of Jesus Christ to the transformation of lives until you come. In Jesus' name. Amen.